0: And welcome to episode 358 of the Creighton Crowbar, a PC gaming podcast being recorded on the 2nd of February. No, it isn't. It's nowhere near the 2nd of February. (laughs) (laughs) It's the 17th of February, 2021. I'm Marsh Davis. I'm joined this evening by Tom Francis. Hello. Graham Smith. Hello. And Tom Senior. Hello also. It's been Video Games Christmas. Is it Video Games Christmas? Games Journalism Christmas is what we call it. Uh, The IGF, although it feels slightly less Christmassy than it has done in previous years, because the IGF used to present uh, desperate games journalists with just a bounty of indie games, more than they could possibly play. But of course, every day produces a bounty (laughs) of indie games, more than you could possibly play now. Um, But nonetheless, you have located some delightful gems within uh, the IGF's spread. Is that right, Tom?
1: Yeah, well... Delightful might be too strong or inappropriate for the game <laughs> I want to talk about, but um, yeah, this is always it's still really exciting for me because um, uh, partly because there's a bunch of stuff in it that that is not currently out that I've you know been looking forward to, um, but also because you get to uh, discuss it with the other judges and the other judges are just game developers, games journalists, people in the industry, um, and something happens when when what you're discussing is whether this game is worth an award or not, that really focuses the discussion on the actual like merits and the kind of nuts and bolts. And is it really, when you come down to it, really good and less on tangents and sort of, you know, broader issues and um, and other stuff. So that discussion is always one of my favorite bits of it. It's just reading what people really think of a game. Like when they really sit down and think, is this worth an award? Like how they, what factors are important to them then and which things disqualify a game and which things make it, um, you know, good but not not award worthy which things make it um something they really want to celebrate so i love being part of that discussion um and the way it works is that you can't uh they obviously they must have had a bunch of freeloaders (laughs) um like i don't think this has ever been me because i always have rated every time i've done it I've, i've rated at you know at least my fair share of games um but of course the way it used to work was as soon as you're, you're a judge and you're in the back end, you could just download any of these games. And so probably some people were just going out and getting what they wanted and not judging any of the games they've been assigned. And so all the popular stuff gets all the attention and the unpopular stuff, um, things people haven't heard of already, uh, doesn't get any eyes on it at all, positive or negative. And so it's harder for it to um, get an award that way. And so now you have to rate your assigned, some of, I think, three of your assigned games before you can rate anything that you're not assigned. Um which is good. Uh, and that's actually one of the things I like about it is your push to play things you don't normally. So like Outer Wilds is, a, is an example of a game that I'd never heard of before the IGF. I wasn't assigned it, but the discussion around it was so, uh, like it just broke out from that. Like if you're looking at the discussion feed, you just see everyone's talking about the Outer Wilds and um, raving about it. And so that was a really nice example of that thing happening organically. The game I played uh, that I liked in my, uh, this time that I was assigned was... Um, it's called House, uh, which is not a very helpful title. And the trailer, if I'd seen this on Steam, I would not have been interested in it because it's a very low res pixel art uh, horror game. Um, and the trailer has a very kind of like, ooh, look how gruesome this is. Look how nasty it is. Look at this person being disemboweled. Look at this horrible, freaky monster thing. And um, it's very much trying to sort of shock you and um, uh, really, uh, yeah, like go all out, turn everything to 11. And I played it, and it's um, you're a little girl in in a um, in your bedroom. You wake up, and um, and as soon as you start moving, that the movement is kind of horribly slow and wildly over animated. Like you have a really enthusiastic walking animation, but you're going nowhere. (laughs) Um, And so it feels really sluggish to play. Um, It's very arbitrary what you can and can't interact with. And I wasn't feeling like this is going to be of interest to me at all. And uh, came out of my bedroom, walked down the corridor. There's like a a a mysterious door you can't open. There's another door to your sister's room. You can talk to her for a bit. You go into the kitchen. Um, My mom is making some sandwiches there. I open the fridge. There's a a glass jug of milk in the fridge and I pick, I can pick that up. So I take that. Um, And then I notice the verb when you're holding that is throw. So um, (laughs) I was, no, sorry, sorry. This one is spill. Um, So I just randomly, I could sort of walk over to my mom and spill milk uh, on the ground and a few seconds later my mom turns around slips on the milk and just smashes her face into the floor and dies
0: oh my god <laughs> and i'm
1: just like what i just did that on a whim that was just like me fucking around and <laughs> i didn't think it's gonna have any actual consequences <laughs> <laughs> and yeah it's not like it's not a entirely a simulation uh but it is it's a groundhog day thing so basically when you you all your members of family are not only can you kill them, but they are very likely to die. They're, they are sort of on course to die in almost like a final destination kind of way where like th- there's little accidents waiting to happen all over the house. And the pitch for the game says the house is, is trying to kill your family. Um, but each time, uh, basically as, you, as your family get killed, they come back as ghosts or other weird parts of the house start to um come alive and, and haunt you and attack you, you can't really fight back, so you're dead at that point. That's kind of the end of your run. And then you just wake up in bed again. And I think the only thing that ever changes permanently is your journal. You write some new journal entries, which have not been at all useful to me. It's not like Outer Wilds in that respect. Um, it's mostly just a thing that's the same every time, but as you play it, you learn what you need to do to kind of prevent these things. So uh, it turns out the reason I was you know completely uh, <laughs> sort of I don't know, impressed, floored, horrified that there had been such a specific reaction to the thing I'd done because I thought it felt like a very uh, me thing to have done. It's <laughs> like, there's no reason for me to do that. I was just fucking around to see what would happen. Um, and uh, as it turns out, if you don't, if you don't in- spill milk to- that makes your mum slip, there's actually a, a flood, a, like a, a drip leak coming from your roof that's causing a pool of water elsewhere in the kitchen. And if you if you don't kill her first, then uh, she will naturally walk over past this this slippery patch and fall and die. So that's her that's kind of her fate that's that you're trying to avert. I had accidentally caused it much earlier, <laughs> um, but there's, you know, uh, just to give you an example, the solution to that is there's a bucket somewhere else in the house, and you put the bucket under the drip, and then the drip is no longer a, um, uh, a pool that she can slip on, and so she'll make it to the table at least. Um, <laughs> and
0: did you trip over the bucket and uh,
1: slam into the table <laughs> no i think i mean like in the way it's depicted she just walks right through it and she's fine uh, i my head cannon is that she sees the bucket and steps around it rather than stepping directly on the wet floor because you haven't dried the floor like the leak that's already happened so we've anyway <laughs> the systems are fairly clear but there's a bunch of other stuff like there's a bowling ball that you can pick up, which its main use seems to be that when you drop it, the room kind of shakes of it. And in some rooms, that's a useful thing. There's a reason that you might want it to shake a couple of times. Um, and so the bowling ball is like is the item you want to bring if you need to have that effect. But actually, if you slip, like that that pool of milk, if I if I sprint over it, I also slip. Um, and the pool that that of water in the kitchen, if I sprint over that, I slip. Um, and when you slip, you fall, and when you fall in your ass, that shakes the house as well. And so anything that's that's set up to respond to the bowling ball can also respond to that. And so it does have this slightly systemic approach. It's a bit Hitman-y. It's a bit kind of, um, it's kind of like reverse Hitman. Everyone's going to die and you're trying to stop it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And yeah, like it's, I like that aspect of it. And that made me get way more into it than I expected to because it wasn't just figuring out what did the designer mean for you to do here? Um, I think ultimately that, you know, probably the only way to save all your family is to do some specific set of actions. Uh, that the designer has intended, but it's got enough wiggle room there that like, okay, this item can be used for that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what it's for. Like, it actually might be better to leave that where it is and go get something else. Um, yeah, it's and it's just, all the deaths are incredibly gruesome uh, in a way that, like I say, in the trailer, that was really off-putting. In-game, it it's kind of hit a bit different because it's usually funny. <laughs> like, I mean, the... the killing my mom thing it was so out of the blue and so uh, the result of my actions of me fucking around i kind of had to laugh it was just like uh, so completely disproportionate and all of the deaths are really like you know heightened and and exaggerated um uh uh someone get just gets a chandelier dropped on them um and this it sort of crushes them it crushes the piano they're playing and then the piano also sets fire <laughs> um and then each there's a surprising amount of of variance in like how you end up dying because you pretty much, are, well, unless you get yourself killed, but some calamity, then you, um, uh, get, will get killed by a ghost. Basically, you know, some, something, um, you've, uh, somebody you've let allowed to die is going to come back and kill you. Um, or, or in my case, directly killed. <laughs> uh, so like it was, there's, I think the, um, There's a a general like shadowy specter thing that that often picks me up and tears me in half, like just pulls me apart in two pieces very easily then just drops the pieces. (laughs) That's my most common cause of death. There's a rug that comes to life and it chases you and it's still a rug like on the ground. It doesn't coil up or anything. But if it gets underneath you, then spikes come out of the rug. Um, And uh, I've also been killed. So that bowling ball, uh, like I say, you drop it to shake the room and I've used that sometimes to wake up the cat. There's a reason you might want the cat to wake up. And... As you start to iterate on this, and you start to you know go through the, the motions of the first few things you've sold that you know you need to do, I was doing that drop a lot. And one time, I was just a bit too close to the cat when I dropped the bowling ball, so it just crushed the cat. Oh god! And on that run, uh, a few minutes later, the ghost the ghost of the cat comes back, and uh, as soon as it gets near me, just sort of jumps on me and claws my face off. <laughs> Quite fair. <laughs> <just right>. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's surprisingly diverting. I'm, I'm a little bit stuck on it now, um, and I don't know if I'm gonna push through I, I might look up a walkthrough to what i've got to do next because i'm i can't figure out how to save my sister and i did it once and i don't know why she didn't die that time so um i'm not sure what i've got to do to progress but yeah i got a surprising amount of value out of it
0: that sounds fucking great <laughs> cool idea
1: yeah like horror groundhog day is not a thing i guess actually i suppose that is a thing like um there's happy death day right has not seen that movie mm-hmm. yeah yeah That's it. Um, a girl who's, who's sort of fated to die on her birthday and keeps, but actually that's a murder, like she's being, being murdered by somebody. It's not like she, um, uh, you know, it's not like Final Destination where like fate is coming for you. It's a specific guy is killing her.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's kind of part of the plot of Groundhog Day as well, because he does end up saving a bunch of people who are, you know, there's a guy, there's a little kid that's going to fall from a tree. There's a guy that's going to choke to death. Yeah. and You know, that sort of stuff.
3: I feel like he's doing that for bonus points in that film. But I mean, it's not, <laughs> he's not a particularly nice guy in Groundhog Day. It's very selfish and he just wants to kind of get out of his situation and, uh, and get the girl at the end. So all the all the stuff he's doing, it's just purely sort of, all this altruism is purely surely to stroke his own ego. <laughs> that's, my, that's my theory about Groundhog Day.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I mean, this is getting into just a Groundhog Day podcast. I think, <laughs> st- I think that's how it starts out. But I think over the course of the film, he, he learns to eventually do these things for the correct reasons. Mm. Uh, See, I above. don't
1: I don't think so. Well, so not because um, I watched it like a couple of years ago and I was really surprised that it, I re- remember it so fondly. And I thought it was going to hold up and it, I didn't think it did because he ultimately is just learning the best way to manipulate the woman into liking him and just doing whatever it takes to make her like him. And there's a run through yeah. where he is honest. He, he just does the right thing. He just tells her, look, I'm in mean, this, this loop and, and everything and just completely bears, bears his heart to her. And it doesn't work. It doesn't get her, him in bed with her. So he doesn't do that. So he goes back to lying to her and just gets better at lying to her.
0: <laughs> Have you guys seen Palm Springs? I've not. No. Uh, it is a it's a film with a, a very similar conceit, but uh, I, I think it deals with a lot of the, the moral issues uh, much more adeptly. Hmm. It's really it's huh. really funny. And I, I found it incredibly sweet as well. You
3: should Definitely. watch it recording the next film telly podcast tomorrow night in fact so that should be Ooh. up in next month or two months or six months or who knows <laughs>
0: <laughs> as well as playing uh reverse hitman tom you've also been playing reverse reverse hitman hitman <laughs> <Correct. to> hitman <laughs>
1: i can't believe they didn't go with that title <laughs> uh yes hitman 3 uh, the the seventh game in the series <laughs> naturally i oh, know sorry i think it's the eighth actually isn't it because there was Blood Money is four, Absolution was five, and then there's been three of these, so that's eight. Um, <laughs> I don't think Jesus. my title was
0: that silly in, the, in, in this light.
1: <laughs> well, they've they've snuck a title in there, haven't they? Do you see this? It's now the World of Assassination trilogy. These three, oh, which I don't. No, think. I mean, they they used to use World of Assassination as like a tagline for the first one, but I don't think they've been calling it that like a trilogy until now. But it is nice to have any name at all that we can use that doesn't just directly mean a previous game in the series as well. Hmm. <laughs> um, because Hitman 3 was Contracts originally. like That was the, the third Hitman game. Anyway, this one is the episode... Well, no, it's not episodic anymore. It's the World of Assassination 3. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and these three games are very similar. They are very much like... They figured out a format and then they're just making new levels in that format. And the twists are very slight. Um, and I would say the big one of the big things uh, in Hitman 3 that they've improved on is they finally figured out a way to... Sort of scratch their storytelling itch without ruining the sandbox side of things, because a tension they've always had with these games is they, uh, what we want as players is we just want a bunch of assassinations, we just want to kill the people and like that. I always want the objective to be to kill one or more people, uh, and that's it. But they want to tell a story, and I guess I guess grudgingly I'll admit there are some players who want that, but um, uh, they seem way more fixated on it than I want them to be, and so there's always been missions where like in sapienza the classic example is is you've got to kill these two people but there's also like a sample in a lab and you've got to destroy the sample in the lab for some story reason that i don't remember and don't care about and it's just a pain in the ass every time you replay it to have to go and do that extra thing it's not fun it's not you know it's not assassination and the whole game is set up to be good at giving you lots of ways to assassinate people um and this time they've got a new system for that where the first time you play a mission it's different to when you replay it so uh, in some cases, there's just a kind of uh, an intro bit that you don't have to play in subsequent playthroughs because there's immediately a different starting location you can choose. Um, in some cases, there's uh, there's a, a very similar example to Sapienza where there's, there's kind of a thing you've got to do in a lab. Um, and the first time through, you do have to do it. On subsequent replays, you don't. It's an optional objective. So it's just about uh, taking out the targets. And there's even one where on your first time through, you don't know who the targets are. There's a story reason for you not to know that. And there's loads of them. There's ten targets on that level. Um, I think you've only got to kill five of them. Um, And when you replay that, you just do know who they are, and that's way better because you don't want to have to do that investigation process over and over again. Um, So yeah, they got way smarter about that, and that's really cool. The thing, I think, I feel like there's two phases to my enjoyment of Hitman in this World of Assassination trilogy. Is um, the first one is, is discovering the level. You play it you know, without any real hopes of doing well, without really trying to worry about silent assassin, just explore, you watch where the targets go. Um, you maybe try a, one of the mission stories where they sort of lead you into some particular opportunity uh, see where that leads you. And in doing that, you check off a bunch of challenges. And I find that really satisfying. Like the mission stories thing I wasn't sold on at first, but um, the challenge is just sort of being subtly told, like, there's a way to kill this person with an exploding golf ball or, you know, there's a way to hit both targets at once with a chandelier. Um, I love that kind of stuff and it's very satisfying to figure it, figure out how to do it and check it off and just, you know, see your completion increasing. And by doing that, you unlock new starting locations, which then lets you, gives you better access and quicker ways to get to the, the, the fun stuff you want to play around with. And then once you've kind of mastered it in that way, um, uh, I have, I don't think I was always into this, but at some point I got into actually competing on the leaderboards with my friends uh, for Silent Assassin runs. So the leaderboards, Silent Assassin is is where you only kill the targets. You no one sees you um, doing anything suspicious. No one finds any bodies, and you're never recorded on camera. And you don't, yeah, you don't kill anybody except the targets. And uh, if you want to place well on the leaderboards, you pretty much have to do that because there's a huge penalty for violating any of those conditions. Um, and then if you succeed on all those conditions then all that matters is how quickly you did it and that will be your score um and it's been really fun to uh just develop rivalries with uh, friends on the leaderboards and uh, figure out better and better ways to do it because you it has very much that that Zachtronics thing if you've ever like got into um competing on uh, like opus magnum for like the you know most efficient cycles for something where if somebody beats you by a little bit, you're like, hmm, let's look, Let's go back and look at my method and see, is there like one little tweak I can make to beat to, to you know eke out another little bit of efficiency? And I guess a hitman, like shave off 10 seconds, 20 seconds or something. And then someone beats you by three minutes. <laughs> you're just like, whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> what the hell are they doing? Because they're not doing what I'm doing. There's no way to make my method that good. And uh, that's always really fun where you have to go back to the drawing board and think, okay, I'm, my whole met- approach here is wrong. And I've got to go back and, and think about something. I kind of, Matt Castle um, reviewed it, I think. And so by the time the game came out, he already had really good times on like ev- almost every level. There was only one level where he had a time where I thought I can probably beat that. Um, and so I did that one first. And uh, um, I think Matt and Sam Roberts and, um, and Phil were all uh, very hot in Dubai because that's the first mission and they're all, getting very good scores. And I, I was just felt intimidated by that and just went on and did everything except Dubai. <laughs> I think I got a time under 10 minutes on Dubai and thought, okay, that's decent. And then everyone was um, it was down to like four minutes. Um, and so I went on, on to the rest of the game. And I finally, the other night, I finally went back to Dubai and thought, okay, let's, let's figure this out. Uh, I actually accidentally spoiled myself on what method they were using. And so I kind of wasn't really interested in take, doing a method partly because it wasn't my invention. And also partly because, um, I figured they've been honing that already, so I'm not going to do better than them at their own game, um, and yeah, I just by that t- time, it also unlocked a new, bunch of new starting locations. So I had to think about where what opportunities those give you, and just paid a lot more attention to like where are the targets when the mission starts, and uh, I figured out a new route um, that is faster than theirs. Ha! <laughs> and I'm now uh, uh, slightly ahead of them, and there's a strangely like warm. Uh, sense of well-being and accomplishment and worthiness that I killed people faster than my <laughs> friends Now <laughs> my friends have to feel bad
0: <laughs> is this your favorite of the worlds of assassination so far then
1: I don't know um it's really hard to judge because I do like that thing they've done with to make them re- more replayable um, but I was trying to make a list everyone's doing the lists of the best hitman missions over the whole trilogy and I just there's nothing there's no one level in this that I really love. Um, all of them are kind of a bit of a mixed bag. I think Mendoza is, is probably the standout. Um, and that's a, that's a big like um, uh, winery in Argentina. And it's a really beautiful building and it's just very expansive and lush and and gorgeous to kind of explore and walk around. But ultimately I don't really think the, the methods in that level are as fun or as satisfying um, as others um and so sapienza is still my favorite level in the whole series i think which is from the first game um and yeah it's very much it's kind of like um if you have a favorite band who are just incredibly consistent and just do the same kind of music each time they're not really developing um, then your favorite album is just really going to come down to like Oh, there's three of my favorite songs on this one and only two of my favorite songs on this one. So I guess this one's the best. Like, that's about it. So it's tough to choose. Probably, I think the first one probably has the, the most really great levels. Sapienzo and Hokkaido are both really, really great. Um. Uh, but yeah, it's, there's not much in it really. They're all just very, very consistent. And um, they really like explored this style now thoroughly. I did have one really fun moment on that Mendoza mission, the, the winery, because um, it, it also made me appreciate how fucking difficult it must be to make these games, because these mission stories and opportunities are all, um, uh, they're just out there for you to, to trigger. And once you trigger them, these these people who are sort of on um, you know clockwork routines are going to deviate from those routines, and that's going to mess with the rest of the simulation. And so I was I was trying to do two different things at once. I was, I was just exploring as an exploring phase. And I'm just trying to get every challenge, check off the challenge, do every mission story, uh, try everything. And I had, um, there's an achievement for like uh, ki- electrocuting people, electrocuting two people at the same time, which I was pretty sure I could do if um, I made use of this other opportunity, which is to flood the main factory floor with wine. There's a way to mess with the pumps. They just tell you this in the challenges that like there's a way to do that. Um, and I was exploring a different opportunity where you can take a tour of the winery. So if you dress up as this person who's supposed to be on this tour, you can take a tour with one of your targets as the other, uh, one of the other guests on the tour. And I was all ready to do that. And they're waiting for me at the entrance, but they won't start the tour till I go and sort of, you know, say I'm ready. Um, but just as I was about to do it, I thought, oh shit, actually, if I want to electrocute the target in wine, I should flood the wine floor now. Um, and so I went off and did the whole thing of dressing up as, you know, a maintenance guy and finding the right wrench or, or crowbar or whatever and, and distracting everybody so I could mess with the valves and then uh, flooded the the whole place with with wine. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of electrocution opportunities in Hitman where it's like, you know, you turn on um, a hose and there's like a little bit of water on the ground. And so technically, if some electricity hits it, then, then everyone gets electrocuted. This is like you are wading through it. It's like almost up to your knees. <laughs> um, It it really floods the floor and, like, uh, it's got great, like, you know, ripples and reflections and stuff on the wine. Uh, It's a real fucking flood. And then I did that and then went back to the start of the tour and and said, Okay, I'm ready. And um, the guy, you're with um, two women in in like very um, plush evening wear, like long gowns. um, And I was dressed in a suit. And the, the tour guide just takes us through. The, the whole factory floor and we're just wading through the wine like he doesn't acknowledge it in any way <laughs> just walking up to the great presses and stuff like oh yes here's how these work um and uh if you look over here you can do this uh i tried the electrocution thing um it was very easy to do and it checked off the challenge but it's, it's a terrible way to do the assassination because you kill everyone else it kills like 12 people <laughs> um and that that ended up being secondary i just did it checked off the achievement then reloaded my save carried on with the tour wading through all this wine uh, as the guy um Talks us through, and then he takes you up to the the barrelling room um, uh, for a complimentary wine tasting, where you sort of you uh, there's a lot of um, veiled threats from um, from Ian Hitman uh, and uh, a lot of you know chatter that can be read more than one way, and the person's been very nice and hospitable to you. Um, and as you taste the wine, and then finally this sort of he says, okay, and that officially ends our tour. And the moment he finishes saying that, he just sprints out of the room back to the factory floor. And in the background I hear him yelling, just, Oh my god, the whole supply, our entire year's produce. This is I'm fired, I'm ruined. <laughs> my life is over <laughs> And so you can kind of feel like these two different systems were there was a prioritization system there, obviously, like the, the tour thing that takes priority over the, the react to the flooded floor thing. But I also just like imagining that this guy has incredible self-restraint. <laughs> like When he's giving a tour, he is giving the damn tour and he doesn't care what, what the house is going on. Until the tour is finished, I cannot deal with any other problems. <laughs> and the moment that it's over, his whole world falls apart.
3: This, uh, this description has encouraged me to Google does wine conduct electricity? and uh, <laughs> according to the first page of google wine conducts electricity better than water so it's wow. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good murder device in this context <laughs> full marks to hitman for total realism there. <laughs> yeah absolutely i'm sure they researched it thoroughly have you been playing anything else tom uh
1: yes but i feel like someone else should speak
3: <laughs> <laughs> i of course meant tom senior
0: oh <laughs> ah, come on. Uh-huh. cunning retrospective segue there
3: <laughs> I've been playing. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Bezier or Bezier, uh, which is a twin stick shooter uh, created by Philip Back and friends, that actually came out in 2016 originally on Steam. I only encountered it recently because it's very recently released on Switch, um, and I've been really enjoying this. Is my new bath game. Uh, people want to know what that means. It's just a game I play in the bath. You go, go back a few podcasts, you'll know. Um, and it's. Basically, it says a twin six shooter in the mold of... Uh, oh, it's gone out of my head. The really famous Xbox Live Arcade one. Uh, Geometry Wars. Geometry Wars. That's the one, exactly. Um, I think that, so the Bezier curve is a, a way of um, denoting curves using computer language, and that kind of describes the motion of both you as a player and also all of the enemies that tried to swarm you, um, all of which have different behaviors. Uh, but there's also a kind of like under underlying uh, story to the game that is... Quoted to you uh, in text at the bottom of the screen that you're far too busy to ever read because you're being swarmed by shapes that want to kill you. Uh, And the the kind of the reason I really like this game is that it has like a a, really it does have a personality of its own, uh, which speaks to the fact that most of it was created by one guy. It's got an amazing soundtrack created by some talented musicians as well. Um, But I just wanted to read some sort of like tutorial descriptions, uh, which are excellent. Um, So at the end of each section, as you kind of go through. Uh, a kind of little maze of uh, choices. Uh, you can go left or right after each section and it puts you to a different uh, self-contained uh, arena, basically, uh, with its own makeup of enemies and uh, shields that you have to destroy before the great villain Domus comes to claim your soul. Um, and Domus comes after a time limit and you have to destroy all the shields before Domus gets there in order to avoid him and get to the next section. Uh, but it's described in the tutorial text um Domus is a wrong a proper Burke uh, so <laughs> <laughs> stay away from him until he becomes vulnerable in the final zone then unleash hell onto his stupid face and uh, there's just kind of a nice voice to the whole game so you, you, your uh your health pool is called ouch and <laughs> uh, your you have a resource called umph and umph uh, if you have maximum umph I think it does, does more critical hits or it makes your blasters more powerful. Uh, it's got a really, really cool upgrade system where you've got a linear series of upgrades uh, listed across the bottom of the screen, and each time you destroy a shield or a, a, a get a really good streak on a bunch of enemies, you get to pick up a little star that kind of moves you along that track, uh, and that encourages you. It's a kind of like bit of gamesmanship where you can wait and just uh, you know go further along the track for more powerful upgrades, or you can settle to just upgrade your blasters and and. You know, just become more powerful at you know defeating basic enemies, and a great thing that I think should probably be a feature of this genre is it's got auto aim that you can use, um, which is kind of an antithesis. Like these games pride themselves on being really, really difficult, and they look really difficult, and it's sp- visually spectacular. There's lots of noise on the screen, and along with the music, that's part of the appeal. Um, but you can just like hold down the auto aim button, and actually it, it delivers. A series of bolts that are more powerful than your basic attack at the nearest enemy, uh, but it, it it sets a you know it, it overheats your ship if you use it too much, so you can kind of get to back off and then use your normal blasters and come back and uh, use your auto aim again. Um, but I find that to be a really nice mechanic because it sort of opens up this genre to people who just want to have a casual fun time and just sort of listen to music and watch things explode and then use auto aim. It's a perfectly valid way to play the game. It's just to use all the way and back off, let it recharge, then use it again if you want to. Um, yeah, it, it, it struck me as like a really smart kind of full of personality. Um, apparently, there's a, there's deep law behind it. <laughs> I can't detect it, uh, but yeah, yeah. Each time you you go left or right based on your arena choice, it gives you a, like a mysterious message, and I'm sure there's deciphering to be done for law nerds there as well. Um, yeah, I like this because my. Experience with shoot-'em-ups, with shmups or whatever. Uh, Like, the most revered one I've played is Ikaruga, but it's a completely completely different genre, really. Uh, First of all, it's not twin-stick. You're not in, like, you know, actually... uh, It's not like asteroids where you're just moving around and constantly aiming your blasts in a different direction. Um, Ikaruga is also a game about trial and error and learning the mission, and then also combining that with, like, incredible Twitch control to be able to actually get to the end. It's really unforgiving. It's incredible for what it is. And it's got a, a wonderful system where you flip between different uh, uh different flavors of blaster and shield to actually absorb certain attacks and return them as missiles. um but something like Bezier seems like a good game for the moment if you look at, especially if you're looking for like a podcast game, which is a sad thing to say because the soundtrack soundtrack is excellent. Um, I think it's just yeah it's it's the thing that's made me happy this week basically. Oh nice yes. yeah. Simple game. It's a
0: really nice game. I, I did play it when it came out for PC ages ago um, and I, I did find it quite difficult but uh, maybe I just wasn't making use of the, the auto-aim to, to good effect.
3: Some of the rules are kind of almost intentionally obtuse. Like, So the shields that you have to destroy in each level, there's a different mechanism, a different way of destroying them. Uh, so it's, it's sort of semi randomly generated. I don't want to spoil how to get rid of some of them but some of them you can just go up and shoot them and they'll blow up. Um, but for others, you have to occupy specific zones or kill certain enemies before you are able to attack the shield. And it gives you no indication of how to do that. Uh, and it's 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 also kind of, some enemies you destroy and they create like pools uh, or spaces on the map that if you go into, you're affected by negative effects, like you're slowed down or you can't shoot. Uh, but then for some other scenarios, there are zones where you, could, you have to go into them to deal damage to certain things. And... So the only way you can do that is guesswork and just experimenting. Uh, I think that it's the reason I don't completely hate that, even though on paper like it is kind of a hate trial there. Normally, is because each run is so quick, and you could just quickly get right back into it, and it's so immediate and immediately fun because it's so tactile, and all the explosions are beautiful. Mm. uh, That it says there's innate pleasure uh, in just simply cruising around, destroying stuff, even before you get to that challenge again. And eventually you figure it out and then you feel like you've unlocked some sort of deep mystery of the universe, (laughs) even though um, maybe some people might question the game design of like showing you one particular type of presentation that hurts you and then very similar presentation that helps you and how is the prayer supposed to distinguish without actually just dying repeatedly to find out. Philip Back is a very nice man as well. I was trying to follow follow up on what he's made since then. Uh, apparently, this took like about eight years to make, and it's, it's brilliant. Oh I really um And that kind of shows <laughs> uh, sort of the comedy, in, again, in the kind of tutorial text uh, where he says, like, you go to the advanced bit and you talk about score tips. Um, uh, Bessier's scoring system evolved over five years and uses around 30 different variables to calculate. I don't remember most of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, uh, method matters. A blaster will score more than a special. Proximity matters. Uh, a shorter distance will score higher. But he also says, <laughs> for a joke, I added a score boost based on the music volume. I don't remember <laughs> if I took it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's such a lovely personality to the game. Especially for a game like this that is so just kind of wordless most of the time. You know, these games are often just purely about the audio visual. Uh, being attacked by this sort visual experience, and to have this kind of underlying sense of humour to it, I, I it really delighted me.
1: Is the scoring system like in your mind when you're playing, Tom? Like, because it, 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 it sounds like if it's that complicated. It's hard to model. Hard for the player to have a model of what they should and shouldn't do to, to get the best score.
3: Yeah, so it's it's pretty clear about you know the basics of it getting streaks and keeping your attack streak up, and then using a combination of normal attack, uh, auto attack, and specials to kind of keep your chain going and going and going. Uh, especially when you understand the rhythm of the waves and how they they operate, like the first, as soon as you enter a new area, you're assaulted by a huge wave of enemies, which teaches you what's going to be around for the rest of that particular section. Uh, but it's also a chance to get loads of scores up, and then you get to carry those scores to the shields when they appear. So yeah, it, 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 the basics are there. Like, it teaches you the basics for getting good scores. But it's also um, it's li- linked up to global leaderboards, uh, local player leaderboards, leaderboards on your friend lists, um, so you can always compare yourself against the best of the best. And the people get literally trillions of points. I was like, how? <laughs> uh, and also another thing is that uh, when you beat, each time you beat the game, you level up your whole account thing. Uh, and as you level up, you encounter unlocks new enemies and new enemy behavior. And so enemies that might have formally charged you might be more cautious or evasive, uh, or they might have new missile attacks and that kind of thing. So uh, I was initially disappointed because I completed the game very quickly. Um, but actually the more you complete it, the more the game changes, the harder it gets. Uh, and now I'm just obsessed with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to play it. I, I could play it so much just to see, awesome. I'd want to see all the enemy types and it, it goes to you at the bottom right of the screen on the menu. When you enter the game, it tells you what percentage of the game you've seen. and I'm at 25% and I've, oh, wow. I've completed <laughs> it loads of times. <laughs> so, uh, uh, there's definitely loads of secrets locked away in there. Like it depends the order of where you, whether you go left or right. I'm sure there's loads of stuff to to find and to discover. And i refuse to go on any wikis for it. I'm determined to discover it for myself. Uh, there's so much there. It's great, and it's something that looks so frivolous. It looks like, like you could immediately play and enjoy, but it has all this stuff behind it that you kind of ooh ooh. There's something here. Ooh, this is nice. A lot, more, a lot, to, a lot to get stuck into. It's
0: so nice. that It's being given a sort of second lease of life on on Switch. It's
3: perfect as well for Switch. Like it's, I was playing on the little screen earlier, and it was just yeah, absolutely spot on. Runs beautifully as well. Uh, so yeah, that, uh, it's a great handheld recommendation, uh, and it's great on the pieces, of course as well.
2: I looked up while you were talking about it, and Philip backs is called Name Games. Um, and like the website sort of suggests that their intent is that they're going to make nine games over the course of the company because there's like a, a numbered list down the huh. side, one to nine, huh. and number one is Bazir, and then the next eight numbers are just blank. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like
3: if it's eight years each time, then it's going to be a, <laughs> a yeah. generation-spanning uh, endeavor. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I'll, after after this, I'll, I'd love to play what they've got cooking next. Just a lovely game. I really like it that's awesome we've been playing much
0: well actually i've been playing something the the way you were talking about how much personality there is in bezier maybe um maybe think of this uh i've been playing death crown Ooh. Oh, yeah. which is uh fun to say uh it's been out for fucking ages it's been out since 2019 um and I don't quite know why it hasn't become substantially more famous just for the way it looks because hmm. it has this sort of um it's a it's a tower defense slash offense game, I should say. but it has this really striking monochromatic pixel art style. It's really sort of b- baroque uh, and s- focused on sort of like Fabulary occultism. But it's it depicted in this this kind of really harsh one-bit style, one-pixel pix, art style, and that somehow makes it feel really fervid and nightmarish. <laughs> and it has this really raunching off-kilter soundtrack by some Russian electronica musician called Lightning. Um, and it just conjures up this atmosphere of just demented sickness <laughs> as you uh, play uh, Death herself, um, who is out to punish the mortals. And um you punish the mortals via a series of hex space battles, of course. <laughs> um uh, that you- show. <laughs> exactly you build up your, your base in real time, uh, and you send legions of the undead to 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 de- tear down your opponents. Um and it's incredibly pared down and fast-paced. You only have like three components, you have mines, which produce all the money that's required to, to, to put up buildings. Uh, and you have crypts from which your undead army emerges at intervals and, and traipses across the, of the map to attack your enemies and forts, which shoot incoming enemies. And that, that's it. They're just those three components. And your opponent has the, the equivalent, you know, it's translated to, to mortal equivalents like windmills and barracks, but they're the same kind of mechanical things. Um, and, Sort of at first, it feels like the the difficulty is simply about sort of clicking on your base in a maximally efficient way. Uh, you know, just getting your economy running as quickly as your butt finger can click. Um, but then it begins to sort of throw other considerations at you. Um, so for one thing, the area in which you can build on these hexes ex- expands only uh, when you put forts and crypts down. Um, and it allows you to build then in adjacent squares. But mines don't do that. So if you're not careful, by placing a mine in sort of like a choke point in the environment, you can actually prevent yourself from building out your, your base any further. Um, and then the enemy has all these sort of tricks that it starts deploying. Like there's a, a giant f- fucking floating cube on one level that sort of lasers you if you build anything too close to it. And the map becomes this sort of puzzle on about how you can expand sufficiently to become a threat when it's got this kind of area of effect sort of area denial, uh, laser beam. Uh, and then there's another one where this giant eye apparates over (laughs) your hexes and and eventually claims them for the enemy. I have no idea what's going on on the level. I did not (laughs) understand that mechanic at all. Um, But the game is it sort of doesn't really matter that much. Like the game is this this really messy, sort of rough and ready in some areas, and like some of its ideas just appear and then disappear like that. The giant floating eye is just introduced and then discarded almost immediately. But it's it's just it doesn't really matter. It's just sort of fast, crunchy, doesn't need to be neat and tidy or like polite and polished. It's just really idiosyncratic. And it has this just this powerful identity to it. Um, I guess, like Bézier does, really. And it's, I don't know, I I feel like looking at a lot of the the Steam storefront uh, of late, there are a lot of games which are are perfectly good games. (laughs) And they're all very well focus tested and metriced out the ass. And, you know, but also just somehow completely divorced of any alluring identity. And then something like this comes on. And it's, it's not like a perfect piece of game design at all, but it just has like a thousand times the character of nearly any other game. And honestly, I, I find that much more appealing. Just, you know, tell me something new, do something new and different and weird. It doesn't even matter if I like it. You can be, <laughs> be obnoxious and objectionable, but as long as you are different and interesting, that's actually more important to me. I just, just want to feel explain. something. well some i want to feel that something's being created with real intent and personality because that's that's an act of communication from the creator to me i think a lot of the things where the edges have been beveled off there's no communication there's no kind of intent to to project something that the creator knows to me they're just telling me things i already know showing me things i already like and that's that's just and eventually you just stop feeling stimulated by that i think uh, anyway this is it's great it's under 10 pounds uh, I think it's got co-op as well but I, I haven't played with that um, and, and multiplayer but I haven't played with that either it might just be split screen but yeah pretty cool I think
1: yeah I played pretty this cool. um, uh, a while back and again I was also drawn in by the art style and I also love got a real soft spot for like simplified strategy games anything that can kind of just because I most strategy games I'm just never going to learn them it's just too much work to learn how to play and you only find out if you like it after you've done that work and often it's like oh i don't like this <laughs> I like and so i yeah. love stuff like like this was really easy to dip into um and quick to learn um i remember i didn't stick with it and i I'm trying to remember exactly why. It was something to do with those, you're mentioning these these special mechanics on each level and and it's often like a way the enemy can screw you over. I think it was one of those. It might even been the eye thing you're talking about. I think I started a level and just like the enemy was just stealing my tiles without me knowing how they were doing it or what I could do about it. And I was just like, nope, all right, I'm done.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't communicate at all what that mechanic's about is the the main problem. And it doesn't suggest any ways in which you can obviate it. Um, I think I just did it by luck in the end. Uh, but I don't understand quite, <laughs> quite what levers I was <laughs> pulling to achieve victory.
1: Yeah, I wonder if they could they could surface that stuff more, sort of like you know, uh, you kind of choose what mission you want to do, and for each choice, you're told what the threat is going to be, and and you know how what the the mechanics and logic of yeah. it are. So you, you're taking on that challenge intentionally.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's got it, like I say, the the rough edges. Part of that is the sort of level select. It doesn't really tell you what the levels are about in advance, um, and. Um, I, uh, I, 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 I assume that the developer's first language isn't English, because a lot of the, the tutorial text and stuff is, is quite difficult to parse. Yeah, worth a punt. Can I uh, just mention that I've been playing uh, The Room 4, Ooh. Old Sins, That's as well, uh, which is a sort of puzzle box escape room, much like the preceding games in the series, which
3: I think Tom Senior, you've talked about in the pub podcast before. I can't remember which ones I've played. Have I played four? Is that is that brand new? I'm not sure i played
0: it. Um, it's brand new to PC. I think it was on an i-platform of some point. Hmm. but Or maybe it was VR. I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, it's not VR anymore. It's great. I don't have anything new to say about it. <laughs> apart, apart from to acknowledge how beautifully crafted the series is, and it just has some of the nicest in-game objects yeah. of any any video game I think I've played. I'm not. I'm a big. I'm a big rotator of objects in <laughs> <and> games. <laughs> I've always I said just that about love, you. <laughs> <laughs> I just love rotating an art asset. Um, I think uh, my, my, probably my favorite part of the Uncharted series was being able to pick up you know, <laughs> fucking jade figurines and just looking at the. Uh, at the light maps. Um, uh, and, in, and in the in the room games, you not only get to rotate them, but you get to poke and pull and twist them too. And sometimes they pop open and there's, I don't know, an anatomical model's eyeball inside <laughs> or the rotor blade for a miniature submarine or something. Mm. Um, and you go away somewhere else. You could plug that in somewhere else and that that becomes like a nice little contraption you can manipulate as well and and so forth. Anyway, it's wonderful stuff. Anyway, the, the, one, the one thing that really pleased me in, in Old Sins was this, engraved model roof um uh it's it's just really nicely designed object the the puzzle aspect of it isn't particularly complex or confounding but it's just really nicely implemented um, and makes you sort of think about the imagery that's on the roof panels in a way which um tricks you into feeling like you're halfway intelligent when in fact (laughs) you're probably just adult but um, Um, i really like those games
2: the room four is different from the room vr um but you would Ah. like the vr game if you like rotating things and if you like the room it works just as well in vr um if not better being able to use your actual hands to paw around the world and rotate things and pull little levers and switches it's extremely satisfying Mm. There's a segue from the last game you were talking about, Death Crown, because Tom mentioned simplified strategy games. Mm-hmm. Because speaking of simplified strategy games, we've been playing Slipways. Yeah. Do you want to set this up, or shall I do the intro? You've played it more than I have.
1: Uh, yes, but I've also talked a lot, and I'm also curious how you would describe it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I only played the demo of this for. Oh.
3: Hello. Uh,
1: I can't hear Graham. Can not no, hear
3: Graham? Graham just cut out. What
2: oh. the heck happened? Oh, <laughs> I heard a bit of you. I'm seeing you muted, <laughs> Graham. I keep pressing the button to unmute it, myself and it keeps muting me. What? <laughs> I,
0: I accidentally clicked your mute button, which I didn't know I could do. <laughs> I was trying to mute myself. And then I tried—I was trying to unclick it and I can't unclick it. I can't unclick it. But then when you clicked it, I clicked it. And then, yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> this should all uh, stay in. <laughs> I said, shut up, Graham. You talk too much
2: for this podcast that's enough Uh, out of you (laughs) I don't know at what point I got muted but um, Slipways is uh, I would describe it as a puzzle 4X game um, at least for the amount that I played of it so I played a few hours of the demo when it was uh, available during the Steam Games Festival but it's uh, a science fiction game um, set on a map with a bunch of planets in which you are are mainly forming trade routes between those planets. Every planet has a resource that it produces and a resource or a set of resources that it needs. You then draw the speed uh, slipways between those different planets in order to, say, get a planet that's producing people to send those people to a planet that needs people and um, eventually satisfy all the needs of your various planets. And there's a kind of like, that kind of core is feels like a puzzle game to me. And for the three to four hours I was playing, that's what I was mostly focused on because I was still learning at systems. Because it's a bunch of rules, like slipways can't overlap with one another. So the slipways you place down can then block your route between some planets being able to reach other planets. Um, there's also like um, a range limit on how long your slipways can be. And so I spent a lot of time I, I put it up the demo just mostly out of curiosity. And most demos I play during the game festival I last about fifteen minutes and then I uninstall them. Even if they're perfectly fine, I'm just I'm just sampling different things. Whereas Slipways just completely consumed my entire evening, me <laughs> hunched over my computer appearing at this little map, trying to work out how to perfectly um, Set up these trade routes. And it's it's pitched as, like, on the the Steam store description as hey, this is a, a grand strategy game you can play in 60 minutes or less, I think. I did two games of it over the course of over three hours (laughs) so uh that's like the kind of pace i was going at but it's it really is like a grand strategy 4x game because it has all these other things going on around that puzzle mechanic so when you first start the game you choose three aliens to form like your council um they're not all aliens are they like three different species to form your council and they have different needs that form little quests or like missions or um ser- certain tasks that you can perform for them that then helps you unlock things because then there's also like a big tech tree element where you're trying to get scientific research in order to get technology that allows you to do things like build longer slipways or slipways which can overlap with other slipways and that sort of stuff um and so there's all this other stuff going on i didn't play it for long enough to really get into that stuff or even though it seems like that's a huge portion of the game so like i know previously before this was this incredibly beautiful polished steam release this was like a pico 8 game and tom you've played that as well as playing the demo right
1: yeah yeah i played that a lot and i was I was really into it and so i've been very excited about this game for a long time because um like alongside Teardown, really, these are like two games that I was very, very sure were going to be great. <laughs> and uh, Sipways, I had you know all the information I could possibly need to make that call because I played the basically you know the fundamentals in a Pico-8 version. And it's amazing it works in Pico-8 at all because, it's, like you say, it's a grand strategy game in a sense. Uh, it's a big galactic empire you're building. And Pico-8, it's fixed resolution. You can't zoom out or anything. So you can only see like four planets on screen at once. <laughs> and that was what Ultimately, what the only reason I stopped playing it was just that it became frustrating not be able to like see an overview of what I was doing, and so yeah, I've been very excited to be able to play that game, but be able to zoom out <laughs> for okay. ages, and yeah, this um, it has also consumed me. I um, the tech stuff is really interesting because um, I think the like I said, it is very puzzly, and the game in general, and what I find it harder. It has these like sticking points, and one of them is the start of the game because you are trying to create little loops of planets that can all kind of feed each other. So, you know, the, the, if you can find one that it needs people and it produces iron because uh, it's a mine, uh, and then you have another one that it needs iron and uh, it can produce wheat, and then another one that it needs wheat and it can produce people. If you link those three in a triangle, then they all supply each other perfectly, and that's a really good thing. Like, they'll all be happy, they can all then develop from there. Um, But what's interesting, an interesting choice they've made is that you don't, like if you didn't have that third planet and you just had the one that, um, you know, needs people and makes iron, the one that needs iron and makes wheat, um, you can do that. Like you can link them. And the one that needs needs people to make iron, it will still send the iron. It it will just be unhappy because it doesn't have any people. (laughs) And so when like, it's not quite as simple as like these are factories that convert one thing into another. They can produce the thing they can produce regardless of whether they get anything supplied to Hmm. them. Uh, it's just that they'll be unhappy at that point and that's a real like devil's bargain because it tempts you into you're you're looking at this randomly generated map in the demo it's it's uh fixed because they don't want you to you know be able to generate infinite maps but you look at them uh, the idea is uh, the point is that they're not designed so they're not neatly laid out such that these planets will tessellate perfectly it's very much this raw chaos that you're trying to look examine each one and think okay this one needs people but it also needs genes and I don't know where I get genes from. Are there any planets that can produce genes? Well, this one could, but only think it's robots. Does anyone that can produce robots? Well, this one can produce robots, but I do think it's iron. Is there anyone that produces iron? And you go on these daisy chains of logic before you've even done anything, just trying to figure out, if I do this, am I going to be able to get myself out of the mess I've created? And so that can be a sticking point. And it's, it's quite taxing to kind of figure your way out. But like I say, you don't have to ensure everyone is supplied. You can get away a little bit with just having like, if just one of these planets isn't getting what it needs, as long as it's on the edge of my empire, it's possible that by colonizing that, it will reveal more of the map and I'll find something out there that can supply it. And that is always a, a very strong temptation. And sometimes it works out great. Like often I think that is the right move, but sometimes you just get this cursed thing where like that I assumed I'd be able to get iron into this planet and I just can't. And because the slipways can't cross each other, after you've built up a certain amount around it, you realize I can never do this now. Like, and you know, even if my slipways are double range, I can't get them into this planet. But you can keep telling yourself, because of those technologies that these these factions provide you, there's one that um, can create hyperspace lanes that are like slipways that can cross through other slip lanes. Um, and so you're like, well, if I get hyperspace lanes, then I'll eventually be able to solve this problem. <laughs> and uh, then later on, you realize, like, oh no, it's also too far out of range. Well, actually, there's relays too. So if I could research relays, like, someday or down the line, I'm going to research relays, and then I'll, I'll eventually be able to make this unhappy planet happy. And the unhappy planets, it's your. The way the score works is all of your accomplishments, you know, the, the the prosperity of your planets and the size of your empire and everything, all of it gets multiplied by your overall empire happiness. So if you have hundred percent happiness, then you, you keep all of your score. If you have ninety percent happiness, you're losing ten percent of your score. If you have one hundred twenty-six percent happiness, then you're you're gaining. But the way that uh, happiness works is, I think, every way, every increase in happiness is just a fixed amount. So if you make a planet prosperous or whatever, you get two percent more happiness. Now you're at one hundred and two. Great. But if an planet's unhappy, you're losing 1% happiness every year forever. And so you'll just bleed happiness that you can never really get back. Like you'll never, um, for every point you lost there, making that planet happy eventually, it's not going to recover that. It's not like you'll gain one happiness every year. You'll you'll always have lost that happiness that you lost. So the longer you leave your empire in that fragile state, the more damage you're doing long-term to your, your final score. And you only ever have 25 years to do this, um, which is... Yeah, it's hard to convey. Like like Graham says, it's sort of like two games in three hours is pretty normal. Uh, I've I think I've got faster. I played it about six times in the weekend that it was available, and I typically like an hour now. Um, uh, because most of your time is thinking time, because you're just sitting there thinking, how do I how do I get this set up? And then, of course, once you do set up a stable loop like that, your next thought is like, how do I expand from here? And you don't want to mess with the good thing you've got going. You don't want to like you know bite off more than you can chew, and then have this horrible like. Um, messy appendage to your empire that can't ever satisfy itself. (laughs) That sounded more colourful than I meant it.
2: So was that turn limit, like the 25 years, was that there in the Pico 8 version as well?
1: I think so, yeah. Hmm, That's interesting. Yeah, it's that plus the technologies, like the scoring system plus the technologies actually makes it more... There are more different viable routes than I realised because I was... Um, I mentioned these, these slipways that can cross each other. Um, and there's relays, which are like, you get to build something in space wherever you want it. That's super powerful because you can put, you can now have a slipway go around a planet by taking a detour and you're getting double the range because they have very limited range normally. But if there's a relay there, then obviously you can reach twice as far. Um, and then you can upgrade those relays so that their slipstreams can cross through any other slipstream. And, uh, that's insanely powerful. And, but it's a, it's a late game tech. You've got to get the relays. Then you've got to upgrade them. I think you might have to upgrade them twice. And there are tech tiers. You can't even reach this, the relay tier at first. And so if you want to get that, you've got to really focus on science and then you're probably going to get it in like year 23 of 25. So you've got like two years to fix all your shit with this amazing tech you've (laughs) just got. And maybe then they'll be happy. But if they've been bleeding happiness this whole time, it's probably not going to pay off. You're not going to gain this, this like incredible amount of score that's going to compensate for the, the multiplier you're suffering. And so I was I was doing that every game. Um, and science is is a tricky thing to specialize into. Um, but and I was sort of thinking of it as a criticism of the game. Like I think this is the best this strategy always. You always want this. This tech is so powerful. It's just it solves all your problems. It's like the whole game is so constrained. You're always. You know, fighting these. Oh, can I do this? No, I can't because it can't cross this. Oh, you can't do that because it's out of range. Oh, this one can't feed that one. And then there's this magic tech like alluring you that if you had this, all those problems go away. Every single restriction you have can be violated with this thing. Um, but you're going to get it right at the last minute. Um, and so the last game I played before the demo ended was um, I went, I had a, the tree guys on my council. And the tree guys are all about happiness and sort of self sufficiency. So one of their techs lets you remove any food requirements from any of your planets. So uh, this planet turns food into people. Well, now it just makes people. Um, and that's really useful, because uh, then you, you know, it takes one link out of the chain. Now you don't need the other planet that that was going to supply it with wheat uh, food. Um, and I ended up not, I kept telling myself I was going to get uh, that relay tech to solve some of my unhappy planets. I'd left myself with a really nasty, unhappy planet in the middle of my empire that I could just never get anything to unless I could you know, cross slip streams. Um And I was always working towards relays. And then at every juncture, there was a there was a tech from the tree guys that was like, actually, that sounds really good. Like this one lets me turn any source of water or biomass into food. And that's not a thing I build on planets. It's a thing I can build in space. And so that means I'm effectively like building my own planet at that point. Uh, or to look at it another way, it's like a relay. And so I can use that to turn, you know, have three times as many sources of food as I currently have. Uh, And then there's another tech where if you uh, colonize a ocean planet or an earth-like planet or a jungle planet, you have a new option of what to build there. Cause you can kind of, you set each planet can only have a certain number of different things it could become. And you choose which one of those is most useful to you. Um, And these very lush planets are, are, um, have a lot of options. Uh, And one of the tree guy techs is what is to make a haven world, which means all it needs is food and it's just going to produce happiness. So this is one of the few ways you can, I think it, continually accumulates happiness Um, and i already had the tech that can turn like water or biomass into food and i've also got a load of food planets so now i've got three kinds of planets that if any of them can connect to these uh, haven worlds these lush worlds that can become haven worlds then those are just happiness factories for me and because the thing that turns those other two sources of resources into food is itself a kind of relay it can extend the range and the the how easily i can connect these planets to it I actually could do that in loads of places. I managed to make like five haven worlds really fast. Hmm. And then the next tech I could get, like I got that instead of relays and relays are the things I need, I was going to get that I could then upgrade to hyperspace. And I was still kind of telling myself, I'll get those next, I'll get relays next and then I'll get the hyperspace thing and then I'll solve my unhappiness problem. And then the next tech I could get was like, well, this one just turns people into happiness. They're called like ascension gates, I think. And I think you just send your people into the next realm or something. (laughs) And so you just like connect a people planet to this gate that you built in space and it just makes happiness. And I was like, fuck, that's, if my problem is happiness, that's my best solution. Um, so I just built loads of those, and I left my bad planets just sitting there unhappy, bleeding happiness the whole time. Um, and at the end of that game, that was my best score I ever got. So it isn't as simple as like this tech that helps you violate the rules is always the best one. There's actually other routes to victory.
2: I'm really excited to hear that, because it's almost something like a card game to it, something Slay the Spire-like about the fact that you're building this machine out of your empire, and then you you can maximize it in that way by making a bunch of kind of risky decisions or seemingly poor decisions, gambling that it's going to pay off further down the line with these these massive technological boosts to your empire that cancel it out. It's also like yeah. it's it's one of the biggest glow ups of any game have <laughs> yeah. seen. Like there are, there are other instances of Pico Eight games that have then gone on to be, you know complete packages, Celeste most famously. Um, But Celeste, although it's a fantastic 2D platformer, it's still a 2D platformer. Whereas this has gone from Pico8 pixel art graphics where, as you said, you can only see four planets on screen at a time to just utterly gorgeous 3D universe where you can zoom in to every planet and um, there's all these different kinds of planets and as as you zoom into them, you get this beautiful, like, foom! Foom. Yeah, Foom. I love noise. that noise so much <laughs> <laughs> of, of your ships blasting down the slipways, and like um this, there's a scouting mechanic so that when you first start out, you can't see the planets that are in in the universe. You just get kind of um, shadow orbs that might represent a planet or might represent nothing at all, and then you throw out probes in order to discover areas. But you throw out the probes almost like throwing rocks into a pond and that they you throw them out and then they cast a ripple and then the ripples hit the the planets and reveal them in this kind of like shimmering effect of you know into what whatever kind of planet they are like absolutely every little interaction every little graphical thing like that has been polished to something quite divine yeah that's great yeah i'm um, really i was really sad when the demo because i only played it on the night before the festival ended so I played it for like four hours and I was like, Wow, this is this is amazing. I wanna play loads more of this and then they took it away and now I can't play it anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's which, cruel, the Steam Festival.
2: <laughs> I suppose that means the demo did its job because if they had continued to... Um, like, I completely understand it. I think the developers made the right choice. If the demo was still available, I would have by now played it for about 15 hours. <laughs> I would <laughs> yeah. have had a lot less appetite to uh, to play the finished game. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm relieved in some ways. You've been playing
1: something else, haven't you, Graham?
2: Yes, I've been playing City Guesser. Which is a simple browser game, simplish, um, in which you choose a region of the world or indeed the entire world and then are shown a video of a pedestrian or filmed by a pedestrian walking through a city somewhere in the world and you must try to guess where in the world you are by placing a pin on a Google map, if that sounds familiar then it's because it's almost exactly the concept of another game called GeoGuessr which has been around for years and years and years but GeoGuessr it would drop you in like a street view Google Maps street view um, view (laughs) of somewhere in the world and you would like and move around on the map whereas this is all video and it's, it's really lovely. Like It's compulsive to me in the same way as GeoGuessr was. This is a game I can easily lose hours of my work day to in lieu of actually working. And CityGuessr has has that. Um, but I these sorts of videos, like pedestrian videos of walking through city streets, are already something that I watch quite often on YouTube and like when i first started watching them maybe five six years ago i feel like there wasn't that many and now there's just thousands of them and most major cities in the world you can find hundreds of videos of, of, of people walking through them and they're, they're great second screen viewing very relaxing a lot of the time and nice ways to see cities you've been to or will never go to and city Guesser is a great rapper basically for for dropping you into locations that maybe you might not think to look up. And there's something really uh, like, compelling about the way in which, and this is true of GeoGuessr as well, the way in which it forces you to look at the details in the video. like. Uh, Normally I would put a video like this on in a second screen and I would be doing some work and I would only be half paying attention to it, whereas when I'm playing City Guesser, I am studying every license plate, I am studying every road sign, I am trying to peer at the the adverts and the windows of shops as the camera moves past them, trying to put together clues in order to work out where I am in the world. And uh, Marsh, I think you said you'd been playing this as well, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I've played an unhealthy amount of it <laughs> last week or so. It's been great. I've been playing it with uh, with my partner as well um, on on Skype because it is you can play it multiplayer. You can send a link out and invite them into your lobby and then watch the video simultaneously. Oh, nice! And you, you can do. It. I mean, it's it's set up to be competitive. So uh, <laughs> the first person, you know, to guess. I, I I can't quite work out how the points are calculated doesn't seem to be a huge advantage for for getting in first but you certainly get more points for being slightly closer to the mark um but to be honest all of the uh those the sort of like potential competitive aspects of it and the sort of gamified aspects of it are just way secondary to me than what you're describing which is just the sort of detective act of reading your environment for all the details and and wishing you you knew more flags than you do <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it's 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 really good and obviously right now it's uh, there's just something inc- incredibly pleasant about walking around a, a, a city um, yeah. and being being among people uh, in places that you can't go to I almost teared up while listening to a group of uh, people talking about the trails they'd been on at Bryce Canyon that day and I never you know I never previously thought that I would miss the inane wittering of my fellow man <laughs> <laughs> but apparently I do um, although actually I, I as sort of inside there, uh, there's no way that this thing is compliant with privacy laws. I mean, it's just like nobody's faces are censored, there's full audio. Huh. <laughs> it's definitely haven't got consent. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it'll probably be shut down in a, in a month or two. So, <laughs>
1: get on it while you can. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've also been playing it and, um, yeah, I love it. Uh, it's I've, I also found it very addictive, like just as a mm. game. Um, I kept meaning to not remember what it was i needed to do oh, i needed to work out and i was delaying it and i was just thought i just wanted to check this thing out briefly and i ended up you know uh solving one i guess you, you could you'd say and then uh you have to sort of click a button to to validate your guess you know am i am i right and i was and uh, then of course it immediately loads you into a new one and i just couldn't stop i just kept on <laughs> um doing it i've I, i've had a fairly good track record except um I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes there's spoilers in the video. Basically, like my first one was just completely revealed to me to the absolute pinpoint location uh, quite early on, and I, uh, I still I see that one as a failure on my part because I should have I didn't even get the country and uh, it should have been obvious in retrospect. So it starts. Um, the first thing you see is a pub, and I can't remember the name, but let's say it's like the Royal Arms or something. And I'm immediately thinking UK, obviously, and I'm specifically thinking UK, not America, because. If it was in America, it would say, like, English pub, the Royal Arms or whatever. Like, there's always some, you know, uh, <coughs> clarification that, that this is uh, British or whatever. And, uh, but it's very, very sunny. You know, that, that was slightly suspicious to me. Like, this is awfully sunny for Britain. It's, it's rare to, to have a day this nice. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, then I was seeing lots of uh, English text and stuff. But then cars go by and the license plates are white. I think, like it's a little bit far away to say for sure, but it didn't look like a yellow license plate. And I thought, that can't be UK then. So like English language uh, with English culture, but uh, not UK. And I started to think, is it Ireland or something? And then it walks up to a botanical garden. There's a sign in the botanical garden saying, Adelaide, botanical gardens. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Well, I know exactly where this is. But immediately I was like, oh my God, Australia, of course. Like British culture without any kind of caveats. It's not like, oh, look, quirky Britain. It's just, you know, wholesale... um, there and sort of uh feels local uh but wrong license plates and super good weather of course it was australia
0: <laughs> i'm sure our australian listeners will love that characterization of australia. <laughs> it's british culture but with the wrong license plates
2: basically <laughs> well see i had a very similar experience like i think uh, i I'm, it's making me deeply fond of australia and new zealand because because mm. i had i had one where it was it was in a high street in a major city with lots of skyscrapers and all the brands on the shops were like big chain global and and american stores and there was like like hip-hop music and a guy in the street the streets was almost deserted but there was a guy really loudly rapping along to some american american hip-hop song and then there were palm trees down the side of the street, and it was really sunny. And so I, like, I'm pretty convinced at this point that it was the west coast of America somewhere. And then there's, uh, all, the, all the writing in the stores is English. There's a guy up ahead. He's talking on the phone. He walks past. He's speaking Spanish. So I'm thinking maybe it's maybe it's California or something like that. And it was... Um, I eventually got it right, but it was Auckland, New Zealand. Huh. And like that, that puzzling out that it was Auckland, New Zealand was like a super satisfying bit of investigation work to get to that point. Mm. Um and you can kinda cho- you can kinda choose between like hard mode and easy mode, I think, with the regions you pick. Like if you just choose America and it, it will just give you cities within the United States, then a lot of the time it's gonna be pretty easy. And I have had like, you know, you dropped into a point in New York next to a road sign and an NYPD police car shoots by. And you're like, <laughs> okay, well, I know where I am. Or I had one, I, I usually play in worldwide, so just anywhere in the world, and I had one where the, the first frame of the picture was the Tottenham Court... Um, road tube station sign in london or something like that and it was just like well, oh, okay well that, was, that wasn't hard hard mode is russia i think because the country <laughs> yeah. is just utterly vast the length the i can't read the, the the writing um and it has a lot of different cities and so like i can i can go okay i'm in russia somewhere but if i choose the incorrect city i might be three thousand miles away from where i should be because just that country is so vast
1: yeah i wish there was some kind of like helper functions uh, a little bit on the map where one thing i always want to know is like is because so far for me at least they've all been cities um is there in fact it's called city getter isn't it so <laughs> 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 probably that's a rule um <laughs> Uh, what I want to know is, as I'm looking at the map, just tell me, yes or no, am I at a zoom level where this city is actually marked? Like, yeah. have I zoomed in, uh, am I too zoomed out for this to even be shown, or or am I at the right level? Because I was trying to look for one in, in Indonesia, and I was so sure it was Indonesia, um, and uh, I knew the name of the city because I'd seen it in enough different places that I was like, this is definitely what the city is called. Um, but you know, Indonesia is big, and it's also very split up. It's on different islands, um, and I was just scouring that ages trying to find the city and I didn't, there was nothing else. I, I got that it was uh, in Java, um, but I actually didn't really know where Java was within Indonesia. So I also couldn't find Java and Java's not like, uh, it's not a country and it's not a city. It, and so Google Maps doesn't sort of highlight it at the, at the zoom levels that I was looking at. You have to really zoom in to like find uh, that part. And so there's just, I could do with some help on that side of things.
0: Yeah, I think all my complaints uh, about it are actually just complaints with Google Maps (laughs) API. (laughs) Uh, I think think Google Maps has just generally got less usable fairly recently, um, particularly with the way what detail of the environment decides to surface at different zoom levels. Because you can often see something at at a zoom level, zoom in, and it disappears. (laughs) (laughs) And then you zoom in a bit further, and maybe it reappears, but maybe it doesn't. and it's, it's a particular problem with this where sometimes you can know exactly which street you're on, uh, even uh, in which city, in which country. But you have to zoom into them unless you unless it's a famous street uh, with a famous landmark, then you have to pour over a map of quite large cities like at a zoom level where you're seeing 0.5 percent of the city at a time. Um I, I, I don't really know that that's, that's a particularly satisfying way of solving solving the problem. Um, yeah, it'd be nice to be able to turn off items in the legend so you can just display churches, for example, <laughs> or, or yeah. things of that kind.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it's like the, um, there's like a search nearby function on Google, isn't there? I wonder if you, you could be allowed to do that, but only with generic nouns or something, just certain options like that.
0: It's really interesting to me how much how different the different videos are in terms of presenting a sort of game-like challenge. Because there's a real art to constructing something where there is it preserves a level of mystery and feeds you details quite slowly. Um, because you know sometimes you'll just be plonked down next to the Arc de Triomphe and you'll be like, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's, there's no game here. Uh, and then other times it can be you feel too obscure and then sometimes it hits a sweet spot where you know you, you like like uh, the Auckland scenario you outlined, where you're you're sort of sure about the culture, but not quite the you know some of the details start to throw you about where you particularly are. That that's that's the sort of the point where it becomes like really a, a tantalizing mystery. I assume they are players, just user submitted videos. I don't really know.
2: I think it's just, I think it's literally just YouTube videos. I think it's just pulling in YouTube videos and masking the YouTube player in some way. Oh. I I reckon you could find these exact videos on YouTube if you just, you know, typed in the city name and and the word walking or something like that. I bet you would find some of these.
0: Do you guys uh, cheat at all? Do you have recourse to Google when you do this or...? (laughs) Are you purists? The,
1: I'm mostly a purist, but I, the one time, and I consider this a failure, uh, the Indonesia one, because I, I was having such a hard time looking at the city, even though I knew what the name of the city was, um, I, while I was looking for it, I also couldn't find Bali, and I've been to Bali, <laughs> and I was like, this is ridiculous. If I can't find Bali within Indonesia, something's gone <laughs> badly wrong. And so I cheated for that. I looked up where Bali is, and the, the problem was that um, it's, uh, there was a big word on the map, that concealed the separation between Bali and um uh, I think it is Java the landmass to the uh to the west of it and so it looked like it was part of the same landmass and I was looking for an island and so I couldn't find an island that <laughs> matched it but yeah that was the thing where I, uh, I had to uh give up on on that part but then I did find the the city after that
2: I'm a I'm a purist I've not googled anything if I get to the point where I'm you know, getting slightly frustrated by something or I'm tempted to Google, then I am more likely to just fucking guess <laughs> with my best right. guess and just accept if I if I end up being 6,000 miles away from where I should be.
0: I sometimes use Google Maps in another window, um, in no great not with a, using the search function, just zooming in and out because it, the modal oh, yeah. window that it pops up in City Guesser is, is so small and it obscures the video while you're doing it. It's, uh, it's you can, t- Perform the same function in another window, uh, sorry, on another screen, then uh, I don't feel that's too cheaty.
2: Yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah, because you can re- rewind and restart the video. So, like, obscuring the video doesn't feel like a, a part of the challenge where you're looking at mm-hmm. the map, because you can just, you know, then minimize the map again and rewind it five seconds. So, having a map on a second screen seems reasonable. It's a lovely thing though. I, I'm I'm probably gonna after we're done recording this podcast go play it for like two more hours. <laughs> have
0: you um have you discovered anywhere
2: you're you're now
0: planning to visit as a result?
2: No, I just I plan on visiting outside of my house eventually. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a bold goal. <laughs> that's it.
0: Tom Sr. Hello. Have you any other extraneous thoughts or feelings about games recently?
3: Well, I feel like I've missed out on this uh, lovely kind of tourist experience, so I think I'm going to sign up for this and uh, play, it, play it tomorrow. And I guess like hearing you guys discuss this stuff, it really, really makes me want to play Flight Simulator. Oh yeah! So well, it's I can got an update recently, hasn't it? Yeah, apparently like it's you know Wales exists now or something. I do not <laughs> uh, Adds uh, a lot of um, territories close to us that. I would enjoy kind of just surfing over and seeing seeing the, the landscape. Maybe and that could be like a sort of high fidelity Google maps for me these days. And something I could do with uh I don't know, like a nature documentary on, on the other screen. So it could be like say, you know, flying over whales, seeing the, you know, the beautiful valleys, and then be oh a whale on the other screen. And uh <laughs> I think, I feel like that'd be like a pretty good experience actually. Um but in terms of just like pure eye candy, uh, uh, I've been really enjoying Ori and the Will of the Wisps recently, which is a kind of Metrovania platformer thing, um, with absolutely sublime movement, the speed of the character, the feeling of dashing, double jumping, mantling, climbing stuff, it's just immediately satisfying. And it, it, even though like it does take a little bit of time to unlock some basic traversal abilities, it doesn't fall into the, the tra- trap of Hollow Knight, which is itself a brilliant game, but I, I feel like it holds back the upgrades that make it fun to actually jump around the place moment to moment uh whereas that's right in place at the start of ori and one of the wisps it's the sequel to ori in the blind forest and i would recommend skipping the first game going straight to the second one uh simply because it fixes loads of stuff about the save system yeah. and the movement and it's just much better pace and more interesting to explore and it's absolutely just gorgeous every single screen you're on is just unbelievably beautiful uh the lighting the way that the lighting interacts with the 2d art and the parallax background is just sensational the way that like characters can emerge from the background and become suddenly a boss monster or helpful characters um it's just endlessly joyous um and i've taken yeah i'm going to complete it i'd already complete these games but uh this one i'm going to do definitely oh
0: wow
1: i don't, don't be too hasty in saying that <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> okay uh, i um also really like this game and it's gorgeous and i enjoyed the combat and everything uh and i loved most of it but i i didn't finish it i got all the way to the last like bit of it the final boss um maybe not the final boss i think this is sort of a pre-final boss um and that segment was too frustrating have you had many of the like chase segments yet where like a big thing is chasing you and the levels kind of falling apart
3: uh yeah that's those are kind of bullshit
1: <laughs> yeah th- this is there's one of those that's especially difficult and i just, every time you die and have to go back a bit and, and replay by well, back to this one I, I and reset all the way back to the start of the whole thing um Uh, it's just really dispiriting and I, it's just too difficult for me. I just was going to be repeating it so, so many times.
3: The one I was just stuck on, actually, I I did actually look up a YouTube video for how to do it and where I was going wrong was that like, I just didn't understand that there's a big monster creature in the background. That's kind of pursuing you and you have to sort of like stealthily dart between safe zones, but it's very difficult to discern where the safe zones are, um, based on the fact that like you you exist on one 2d plane. And the monster exists on a separate 2D plane behind that. But the art is actually, this is where the art gets in the way of actually knowing what is blocking line time and what isn't. Uh, So there's like a flimsy bit of cloth that hides you. I'm like, well, I would never have known that. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: had that exact same problem.
3: (laughs) Yeah, is that the precise bit? And also, right after that bit, uh, so it's taught you, okay, so you have to go, you have to dart between safe zones. uh, But then right after that, it's just a big race where you just have to go as fast as you can in full view of the monster. Mm It's like, yep I mean you taught me one thing now I have to do another thing, and all the, the only way I could figure that out was just doing it over and over and over again or or looking at a youtube video <laughs> so yeah, you're right there are there are problems with those sections, but that I found them quite infrequent though uh, they look yeah they are they look amazing, but like they are yeah, I agree with you. You know, they're not well put together in terms of... I wish they were it.
1: just easy. Like, I don't mind if, yeah. they're, if they're a little bit bullshit and contrived and, and out of out of whack with the rest of the game. But if they're, if they're easy, then that's fine. That like, can just be a nice little break from the platforming. But when you make them hard, I've got to really fucking engage with this really bullshit thing you made up oh, for
3: This one when you're in a falling water wheel and you have to zip between points and it's... Oh, that was really bad as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm angry at the game now. I'm never going to... <laughs> <but. laughs> Happy to oblige. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, maybe I, I see. I'm thinking maybe I should reinstall it because I played it for the first time last week, and I think I got to the the first. Not even sure if you'd call it a boss, but it was like some big wolf thing, oh, yeah. and I had a stick with fire on it, and I think it killed me like four or five times, and I couldn't work out what I was even supposed to do, like the the damage range on my stick, my fire stick. It seemed pretty close but then if i got that close to it then he would kill me in like two hits and so i just died to it like five times and and uninstalled the game um this was last week and so but everyone 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 i talked to just talks about how lovely and good this game is bar a few sections so yeah. i should probably i think that is persevere.
1: i think that's a chase sequence isn't it the wolf thing I don't you, think that bit, particular yeah. bit is
3: you do have to do a chase sequence of the wolf but the bit, uh, Graham unfortunately that tactic was correct you have to sort of just like dodge uh, in hit him in the nose with a fire stick and then dodge back but the game hasn't given you given you the dodge yet so you have to <laughs> uh, do it with desperate jumping
2: it does it is you do lead into that section with a chase so it's it's a very short yeah, right. chase of like 45 seconds or something like that yeah. but yeah you're scrambling away from where it's, that it's the best?
3: worst of the entire game in one second, sequence <laughs>
2: i I have been playing um hollow knight as well though or as i've been really enjoying that right from the off um because i really like the combat and that the, the your little sword is really satisfying bashing beetles for coins is, is really nice right from the off even before you get all the the double jump and the dash and that sort of stuff
3: really look forward to silksong uh which is is it a sequel or is it an expansion to
2: I think it's a full sequel now. It started life as an expansion, but it's grown. they've said, to the point where it's a standalone game now.
3: Because you you encounter that um, character in the first game, and she's awesome. So, like, the idea is, like, yeah, very excited about that.
2: Shall we do questions from questions? Do we have questions from questions? Okay. (laughs) We don't have any questions. Uh, Maybe
3: I
0: have a question for you, though. When I was uh, talking about uh, the... um, Old sins. I was wondering if you guys had also had a favorite in-game item that you have coveted and possibly rotated enthusiastically.
2: <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if you would describe this as an item. It's two things. So first of all, I really liked the. Th- this is the only thing I liked about the Thief remake from like 2014. <laughs> I don't know, sixteen, um, in that you could. Your 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 little ratty hands, your mm-hmm. little ratty thief hands, could kind of lunge forward onto the world, and then you could feel around the edges of paintings, looking for like hidden switches. Um, and if you did that using a controller, it would like vibrate as you got to, got found the hidden switch. And you, it wasn't it wasn't just paintings; it was other objects in the environment. Basically, that you could you could you could paw around. That was always really satisfying. Um, but the other one, I'm not sure if you call it an item, but there's a game coming out called High Fleet. Have either of you or any of you seen it? Oh yeah, Traverse? it's got a very nice UI mm. menu system. Mm. Lovely UI. It's got a it's got a skeuomorphic UI. Um, it's inspired by kind of um, military hardware. It's a it's a kind of aerial dogfighting strategy game where it's kind of split between these. Uh, you put, you're piloting in 2D these huge physicsy flying war machines as they fire missiles at other enormous war machines in the sky, and then the rest of the game is you in some sort of cockpit, or at the very least kind of pressed up against a, a little computer screen with all these lovely switches and knobs and dials around it that so look sort of like you're... You know, looking at the dash of a, a tank or a submarine or something like that, and it's just it's gorgeously presented, and I really love the kind of tactile feel of all its its knobs and switches. I'm really looking forward to that. That's that's kind of an item, right? Yeah. It's kind no, of I, item. I, I mean,
0: that's the I you appreciate it in the similar way that you would appreciate a, a an item. The standalone aspect of the item is not the thing that is uh, important in this. <laughs>
1: I quite enjoyed in Ghost of Tsushima, when you um, uh, uh, find things in Mongol camps, uh, it unlocks a kind of log entry for them in, your, uh, in the interface that is a kind of historical breakdown of what that item is and what it, its role was in Mongol society. And I enjoyed learning about all the ways that they um, ferment milk. <laughs> so I'm going to go with a milk rack, a fermenting mm-hmm. milk rack. <laughs>
3: Got a couple of ideas for this. Um, Graham's mention of inventory systems gave me a, a sudden flashback to Tomb Raider 2's rotating uh, inventory list of items. That then each item that comes into the center of your view itself rotates. And in a kind of era that was sort of breaking into 3D, and at least when I was playing games, uh, that was sort of revelatory. <laughs> it was like, oh my god, look at the detail. It looks absurd now, but it's still great. And also, like, you'd find a jade dragon and that would rotate, and that was sort of a gift in and of itself. Um, I also praise like loads of loads of loads of two D inventory art throughout like Baldur's Gate, Pillars of Eternity, Pillars of Eternity Two, um, and specifically Bloodborne for its depictions mm. of madman skulls, which come in varying degrees of intensity uh, that be- become more ghostly and te- tentacled as you go through the game. Lovely.
0: Well, um, that was <laughs> all the rotatable object nonsense we could fit into the podcast. <laughs> This week, um, if you'd like to send us a question, you can send a question to questions at crowbar.com or you can tweet us at CreightonCrowbar. Uh, you can watch and listen to this recording and others uh, as videos on YouTube and you can find other stuff by us there. The address for that is YouTube.com slash crowbar. You can back us on Patreon as well uh, if you go to Patreon.com slash CreightonCrowbar and you can be a part of our wonderful Discord community the link for which is on our website, com. That's it. I've been Marsh Davis. I've been Tom Francis. I've,
3: I've been Tom Senior.
2: Shit. I've been <laughs> Graham Smith.
3: Thanks <laughs> uh, for a- listening, everybody.